This week's episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by you, our faithful listeners and subscribers. We cannot thank you enough for going to nerdcognito.com, clicking on support the show, and sending us a couple of bucks through Venmo, or clicking on that Amazon link when you go to make a purchase so that we can get a teeny slice of the pie. We know it's not much, but we truly thank each and every one of you for taking that extra step to support your favorite Nerd Chat podcast. So this week, there are no additional commercial interruptions, and we hope you continue to show your support for all of the nerdy things that we do. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Nerd Cognito. Ah, hello, Nerd Cognito fans. It is I, Ryan David. I'm joined by Bert. Hello, Bert. Hello, Ryan. How are you this week? Uh, I'm doing pretty well this week. I uh, slept about 10 hours last night. It was glorious. And um, I don't know. Things are just finally starting to settle down. I'm starting to establish, I guess, a new routine. <laughs> if that Question makes any mark? sense. Yes, I don't know. Um, maybe time change is to blame. Time change fucked me up. So Yeah, me too. I had uh, the first couple of days after the switch, I felt like I was just dragging. I couldn't get anything done. Hey, I am looking forward to this possibly being the last switch ever. That's that's good news. Uh, apparently, we're we're on the road to not having to ever set our clocks forward or back again, and that makes me happy. I heard about that. You know, uh, you know, I, didn't, I wasn't sure we were going to talk about it because it's a political story. But yeah, I didn't hear... who doesn't want the extra hour back? I mean, <laughs> <clears throat> all politics aside, it passed the Senate unanimously. The Senate unanimously passed legislation that would end the changing of clocks. So that's not political. We're good. (laughs) Well, I mean, if everybody agrees on it, it's not political, right? I can't think of anything in recent memory that we can say everybody agreed on. True. So it's got to be a good thing. Speaking of not agreeing on things... Apparently, some people did not agree with me on the Facebook this week. Are you back in Facebook jail? I shouldn't be. There's there's a whole story behind this. Normally, I would not indulge my ego and talk about it. But I think it needs to be talked about because there is a whole story behind this. I, well, tell me the story, Ryan. What well, happened? Well, here's the short version, and then we'll go into the details. I posted a comment that I thought was pithy and humorous in a Dungeons and Dragons group. Uh, Someone did not think that it was pithy and humorous and reported it to Facebook, who instantly threw me in jail and removed the comment, which, which I appealed. And I won the appeal. When you look at it in context, it's not really violating anything. All good. We've restored your comment. We've removed your restrictions. Except they didn't really remove the restrictions. So, I am in Facebook jail for who knows how long. 
if I pull my account restriction page, there are no restrictions, and there's a record of the restrictions being lifted <laughs> from the, I guess, original quote offense. So, uh, more fucked up stuff from Facebook. Right, I mean, that sounds like a technical issue. If they remove the restrictions and the restrictions are still there, something didn't correct itself behind the scenes. Well, it used to be, you know, when you're when you're a Facebook jail veteran like I am, it used to be that whether you won the appeal or not, the restrictions stayed, which was kind of fucked up, and they got a lot of bad press, and it happened to a couple of high-level celebrities, and then that magically changed, that if you won your appeal, the restrictions went away. So this is like a remnant of the old ways. So who knows when I'll be back on Facebook. Jeez, you've been in Facebook jail so much by now, you're like a lifer. I, you're a Facebook felon. I have all of the facial tattoos to prove it, too. That sounds like a great damn name, Facebook fella. Facebook fella. I heard that's Bert's boss, everybody. Hi, Jen. <laughs> and I can still probably play the bass. I played the bass in my high school band, if 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 anyone cares. So so let me tell you my joke, okay? Okay. Tell me the joke. The premise was that someone in one of the online Dungeons and Dragons Facebook groups instead of discussing Dungeons & Dragons, said, hey, we have a campaign on Friday night. It's going to be a virtual campaign. Who wants to play? And then they said, $10 per player, payable via blah, 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 blah. Now, I philosophically have no problem with people making money wherever they can make it. Any way you can. Any way you can. Right. It's 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 a good hustle. I find it amusing that people pay to play Dungeons and Dragons. That's I equate it in my brain as fraternity guys, right? They're paying for friends. That that's that's sort of where I'm at with it. Now, I was uh in right after high school, I joined a society that played Dungeons and Dragons and you had to pay to attend sanctioned events like conventions or sanctioned like campaign events like you would pay a registration fee to play in those events but you weren't paying for friends they had dms you like it was a whole package deal like going to a convention you paid for tickets and time slots and events and hotel room and the whole nine yards oh i i i completely get it don't get don't get me wrong there's a big snafu in the hobby right now about paid DMs. You know, it's it's a 50-50 head-butting, teeth-clenching argument. Um, I just like to stir the shit sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. I do think it's amusing, and I don't think that I would ever pay for, especially an online game. It, I get the rationale. I understand the arguments to both sides. It's just where I'm at, paid DMing is silly. And I think it's because the way I approach gaming is, aw, shucks, Bert, you guys are more important to me than the game. You know, it, it's the game is secondary to the experience with my friends. 
Right. It's more about hanging out with your friends, eating some snacks, talking some shit, playing some games, and just kind of hanging out. It's a chance to get together and blow off steam. So enough of me having a heart. Back to my comment. Go ahead. My comment, which was very amusing, was to this young lady that was recruiting people to to her game for 10 bucks a pop. Not an unattractive young lady, mind you. Was for 10 bucks you better be DMing it topless. You can imagine the hate and scorn that the betas in the hobby directed my way. But I, I'm used to that. It bounces off. I'm like fucking turtle by now. I've got a <laughs> shell, right? But apparently someone reported it to Facebook as solicitation of adult services. Oh, Lord. I mean, I could see them calling you a sexist or, you know, feminist coming down on you for saying something like that. But for someone to go after you for solicitation of adult uh, content sounds a little bit beyond the pale. Right, right. And and trust me, they did. They said, you know, all of the normal ists, sexist, misogynist, asshole ist, <laughs> everything came. And I don't really mind but nonetheless i was able to report it and it's the first time i actually said you know i i don't there's a bunch of options and one of the options that's like the go-to option is i don't think this actually does violate the community standards which is what i usually check this time i checked an option because i had already resigned the fact that this one i'm probably not going to win i said I don't think that Facebook understood the context of my comment, which was very clearly, I wasn't asking the girl to pull the puppies out, you know? Right. I mean, you, we, we all, I know you, Ryan, you like to bait the bears. You basically, you know, throw things at the trolls and try to get them to bite you. It's one of your favorite pastimes. I can't figure out why. Oh, because so it's I, hilarious. It's hilarious, especially when the white knights think that they're going to get panties to drop because they're saying this stuff online. It, it's not going to happen, guys. <laughs> and I know a couple of you are listening to the show. It, anyway, to make a long story short, Facebook agreed with me. They restored okay. the content. The girl that made the original post and I ended up going back and forth, and she held her own enough that I actually said, you know what, I'm going to step away. I appreciate your grind for this 200 bucks that you stand to make. Next time, put that grind towards an effort that's going to pay off more, and, and then we can talk about a business venture. <laughs> so <clears throat> it, it all ended well, except for... The punishment stuck, even though I was absolved of the crime. So, yeah, I am indefinitely in Facebook jail. So what Ryan's saying, loyal listeners, is send him Facebook cakes with files and spoons so he can dig his way out. And I still can get and receive and send private messages, so... Go to facebook.com slash I hate Ryan David and send me something interesting. I guess the the good news that comes out of this story, if you can call it good news, is, you know, I've been avoiding Twitter like the plague. True. I even went so far as to delete my, my Twitter account last year. But um, I am back on Twitter. You were the first person I uh, I followed again, Bert. 
Oh, really? Ah. I haven't been on Twitter in a few days, so I'll have to look for that. Uh, it hasn't changed. It's still a toxic fucking cesspool of humanity. It really is. Sometimes I find funny things on there, though. The occasional meme or whatnot. I've only been on two days, and I'm already regretting my decision. But if you are in the Twitters, go to hit me up at I Hate Ryan David on Twitter. <laughs> so... It's nice that you just embrace that now. You, you've been baiting the trolls so long that it's just, I hate Ryan David at Twitter. Hey, you know what? At least it's consistent, right? Facebook slash I hate Ryan David or at I hate Ryan David. It's all good. You can even snap me now at I hate Ryan David. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it's interesting. But uh, yeah, I don't know how long I'm going to hang in there with Twitter. And, you know, I'm starting from scratch. My my old Twitter account had upwards of almost 1,500 followers, and that was before we did any of the different platforms or podcasts. Now I'm like, I've got 13 followers, and they're like, I remember you. You were a dick. <laughs> Funny thing I can't is, say anything. I have 13 followers on Twitter. Cause oh, well, there you go. But you never use it, right? You have it just I, I because really you have it. I have it, but I don't really post very much of anything. I did find that it was funny that even not being on Twitter, people were bitching about me on Twitter. Really? Oh, oh! I'm going to send this to you. Ladies and gentlemen, please forgive the clicky keys. Yeah, let me log in here to the Twitter machine. This is just riveting, riveting radio, folks. Oh, yes, everybody can hear those keys. All right. So yeah, I apparently people that I pissed off on other platforms have taken to Twitter before I was even there to bitch about me, which I, I guess is humbling. That's more of an ego trip than <laughs> than talking about the the Facebook jail. Um, you made people so angry they go to a place that you're not and still talk about you. That's pretty. Uh... January eleventh. This bothered me enough that I took my GoFundMe post off of Facebook. He hosts Nerd Cognito Podcast. Most of us need help sometimes, and it's not fun being in pain. Not cool, man. Apparently, I commented on this guy's GoFundMe post, which was just a pity me, there's not a cause, just give me money post. And I wrote the comment, which he so lovely screen-captured, Digital panhandling is never a good look. So that's what I wrote. Digital panhandling is never a good look. And that bothered him so much that there is this string of woke warriors that, that followed. Fuck Ryan David. Fuck Nerd Cognito. If you need help, ask for help. Don't let anyone shame you. <laughs> uh, I don't really know much about him. He has a new podcast. He refer references the former podcast. Nerd Cognito, and I don't know much more. He's just this terrible human being that made me feel ashamed. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were complaining about me being a terrible, terrible human being. So of course I invited him to follow me at I Hate Ryan David. <laughs> he did not oh, take man. me up on that op offer though. I, I know Yeah. That. Surprise. Shocking. Shocking. Someone who 
just hates your guts isn't following you online. Oh, whatever will you do? I don't know, considering that last week someone that hated my guts was retweeting about how they had to listen to this new show that they discovered on Spotify called Nerd Cognito. <laughs> really? Absolutely. Uh, folks are so disconnected from who is who and what is what. And this is the downside of tech, right? It, it does disconnect us as human beings. Sure. Everyone's faceless. I mean, today we're a voice on the internet or, uh, you know, a sentence on Twitter. You don't really know who's behind that. For all people know, we're a couple of lizard men from Mars. Yeah, but I'm pretty heavily promoting Nerd Cognito on my social presences. If you're going to argue with me to the point where you're trolling my personal account to see if you can find something to nitpick, you're going to probably recognize that that's the nerd cognito guy. You would think so. I mean, it is all over your social media and I've been putting it out there a lot too, just to try to, you know, generate interest and well, get, well, people, get the word out. You're in charge of Facebook marketing this week because I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a shame, too, because this guy that, that apparently has paper-thin skin, I think he and I would probably get along face-to-face. He likes craft beer. He likes Lovecraft. He likes weird fiction. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds like you, and to some degree, me as well. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, he's a pussy. So, what can I say? What can I say? Obviously not much without getting thrown back in Facebook, Jim. Uh, apparently not, so it's just safer if I read the goddamn news. Oh, <laughs> my God, Bert. One of these days, one of these days... I will not piss someone off on the internet. I don't even think I was trying with that guy. I was just telling him, you know, gosh, everybody's begging for money online. Well, I mean, there are whole websites set up around begging for money online. GoFundMe, Kickstarter, like everybody's asking for your money online these days. Maybe we should do a GoFundMe for NerdCogni. I don't, I don't even know what we would buy. We have everything we need right now. If we hit some exponential growth or if we shifted to video even then i'm a crazy ass tech nerd that has the stuff to do it like i've got the semi-professional cameras and stuff anyway money 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 microsoft you know they don't ever want money oh no Microsoft has begun testing promotions for some of its other products and placing ads in the File Explorer app on devices running Windows 11. <laughs> Wait, so File Explorer will now bring up ads, like pop-ups? The new Windows 11 feature was discovered in an insider build by a Windows user who shared screenshots of an advertisement notification displayed above the listing of files and folders in the File Explorer, which is Windows' default file manager. As shown in the screenshot, Microsoft will use such ads to promote other Microsoft products, or 
tips and tricks that would lead you to potentially sponsored web content. (laughs) So now you're putting ads inside your own products for your own products. That's kind of, uh, that seems a little odd to me, doesn't it? I, I, I don't know. I, I've given up the ghost, except for the recording rig and my gaming rig. I'm 100% Linux now. And Windows 11 was the reason that, that I made that decision. When they announced that you could not do an offline install without a Microsoft account, I said, eh, I don't need Windows 11 anymore. Now, Windows Senior Product Manager did release a statement to say that this is an experimental banner. It was not intended to be published externally at this time. And the feature has been turned off. Okay. So there, it's something that they're playing around with. It almost reminds me of, and again, this will date me as an old nerd, but if you remember older versions of Windows, they would give you like trial versions of Microsoft products with the install for the uh, for the operating system. So oh, you could try like... I know. I've installed Office so many times. And <laughs> right? I've installed Office so many times and installed Office and then the Office installations got confused because there were two of them. <sighs> yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But um, come on, guys. We know that you're profit-motivated, and I am first in line to support that, just like the bitch that was DMing with the titties out. It's just, you got to know where to draw the line. And, and the line is not built into your operating system. Right, I mean, you, we, you have enough problems with, you know, ads online, let alone ads in your operating system. Like, you wouldn't even be able to work offline without getting ads at that point. No, not at all. Not and and not fun for me to stumble across as I'm reading for news this week. What was fun? You watched The Mandalorian. I did. My uh believe it or not, my wife's even a bigger Mandalorian fan than I am, but we love the first two seasons. And everybody keeps telling me and I agree that I need to watch The Mandalorian. It's just I haven't. But there is interesting news for the new season of The Mandalorian, and that is that someone that is probably near and dear to our comedy hearts, Mr. Christopher Lloyd, will be joining the franchise in the upcoming season of The Mandalorian. Christopher Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Doc Brown is going to be on The Mandalorian. Doc Brown is going to be on The Mandalorian. Now... As who? Uh, I didn't know if it said maybe. I didn't see this article. That's actually kind of exciting. Like, he really puts his all into pretty much any role he gets. As of the writing, the role is yet to be disclosed. Okay. Now, Chris Lloyd also does a shit ton of voice work. So it could be that he's voicing one of the CGI characters on the show as well. Okay, voicing an alien or something like that. I could see that. But they don't say, and I know that The Mandalorian has had its fair share of guest stars um, that have just popped up for, like, one-offs, right? Sure. Timothy Oliphant uh, was like, in there. I, always, I like Tim Oliphant, so I know that. Sure. Bill Burr. Bill Burr. Yep. 
Bill Burr, I was just going to say that. He Carl Weathers. Yes, for a, short, for a period of time, right. So it's not out of step with the show. I almost hope that Chris Lloyd is voicing a CGI character because have you seen him lately? <laughs> I have. He's uh, looking a little rough. It's, rough is not strong enough. The Crypt Keeper has one up on him right now. Yeah, I mean, he's come a long way from his days as on Taxi or as Doc Brown in the Back to the Future franchise. He's uh, he's definitely showing a few years. He he's sure is. He's got some miles on him. And hopefully, like I said, hopefully it's a voice role. That's where I'm at right now. Just because I don't want to lump him into that category of people that needed to hang it up that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And, gosh, I don't want Chris Lloyd to go into that category. That would break my heart. Actors who are, it's time for them to hang it up, like the ones that we talked about before, J.J. Walker and... Oh, <laughs> you... I forgot about J.J. I was going the Harrison Ford route. But J.J., yeah, J.J. Oh, dynamite. Well, if we could get in the DeLorean, we would, because we would go back to some classic times for gaming. But we don't need that DeLorean, Bert. This week, it was announced that the classic Gold Box Dungeons and Dragons PC games are all going to be coming out for Steam and consoles this month. You're talking about the original Gold Box games, like the TSR releases. You got it. It will include eight collections, which are built around all sorts of different settings, including Forgotten Realms, Kryn, Dark Sun, Ravenloft. It's the first collection is Eye of the Beholder and its sequels. The second collection, which will have Curse of the Azure Bonds, Gateway to the Savage Frontier, Hillsfar, which was a personal favorite of mine, Pools of Darkness, Pool of Radiance, Secret of the Silver Blades, Treasures of the Savage Frontier, and Unlimited Adventures, which was another favorite of mine. Unlimited Adventures was awesome. It was, it was, you know what, did you play, did you fool around with it at all? Oh yes, but it was hard to come by. It was, and I, I, I have it on discs, and I have it on its last release, which was on CD-ROM. But for those of you that don't know, UA was pretty much a build-your-own adventure kit. Think of like RPG Maker, only a decade and a half before RPG Maker was a thing. You could literally build your own gold box D&D game with unlimited adventures. It was awesome. It was also hard and deep. Uh, There was also a third collection that includes uh, Dungeon Hack and the Drist series of games. Uh, then there's the, the Icewind Dales. Trilogy. Yes, yes, yes. Then they'll have a Kryn series for your Dark Sun. They'll have a Dark Sun collection for your Dark Sun. I keep saying yeah, Dark Kryn, Sun. Kryn for right, Dragonlance. Dragonlance, right. Kryn was Dragonlance. Then Dark Sun was Athos, I think, was the planet for Dr- Dark Sun. I'm just really excited that all the Gold Box games aren't going wherever software goes to die. 
Now, I mean, the, the Dungeons & Dragons video games were always interesting to me. Do you remember the arcade games, playing the arcade games? Yes, yes. What quarter munchers were those motherfuckers? Man, uh, what was it, Tower of Rate? No, was it Tower of Radiance? There was a tower. There was one that was Tower of something. I don't remember what it was, but yes. Yep, Those they were quarter munchers, too. It was like playing golden axe or something like that you know only with a pseudo password save feature on an arcade machine it was interesting yeah the arcade games let's see uh shadow over mistara was one ah yes 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 tower of doom was the other one tower of doom i played a lot of tower of doom and it ate quarters like you would not believe like i would put my whole allowance in that machine well, next time you're over, just for fun, we'll throw it up on the... I have it on, on my arcade stand-up. So we'll have to play some some D&D arcade stuff. I'm in. I'm always up for a game. You know that. Well, you said you were bringing something to the news this week. Hit me with it, Bert. Okay. So did you hear that they discovered a new species of dinosaur? I did not. This is okay. interesting. I, I've... I've always been a dino head. Me too. And one of my favorite groups of dinosaurs were the armored dinosaurs. Ankylosaurus, Stegosaurus, um, Hylosaurus, like all the ones that were, they call them the shield bearers that had those bony armored plates. So the one that they discovered in China, um, of all places, is the earliest armored dinosaur ever discovered in China, and they believe it's a common ancestor of both the Stegosaurus and the Ankylosaurus. Very interesting. It is really interesting. I sent you the link so you can see, like, uh, they have, like, an artist's rendition of what they believe that it looked like. I was going to say, I'm I'm looking because I can't focus tonight for shit, let alone to read an article. (laughs) I'm looking at pictures, right? I'm looking at the pictures. That looks right. I mean, it's interesting. Right. It's got those, but uh, unlike it it almost has like spiny plates rather than those like shield like plates that you think of with Ankylosaurus. It almost looks like it's covered in giant thorns or something like that, but they're calling it Euxosaurus Kopchiki is the, uh, is the official scientific name of it. Oh, thank you, China. (laughs) Giving me another unpronounceable dinosaur. Yeah, they're calling it Euxosaurus for uh, short, I believe, according to the article. But the way that it looks, it's a really kind of interesting. You can see the resemblance to both the Stegosaurus and the Ankylosaur in the artist's rendition. Very, very cool. Uh, I'm always interested to see what we can come up with, especially now, especially over the last 10 years where our whole perception of what dinosaurs probably were has shifted so this is definitely a cool discovery i'm wondering where else it's going to pop up next (sighs) last item of the news i guess this will probably be more exciting for me given my background than you but there is a new hybrid action rpg jrpg that is scheduled for release this summer bert so okay, pretty well, soon. I'm, I'm a huge JRPG fan. Not so much action RPGs, but occasionally. What is it? It's Wrestle Quest. 
WrestleQuest. WrestleQuest. Uh, Mega Cat Studios will be releasing WrestleQuest, which, as described by the studio, is a classic turn-based RPG combat that mixes real-time action with tactical choices. It will have a pixel art graphic style and has licensed wrestlers from days gone by, specifically featuring Andre the Giant, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Macho Man Randy Savage. So it's an RPG starring classic wrestlers. I don't know that it's starring classic wrestlers. The gist that I get is that you are a new wrestler and you are going through the ranks and coming up into your own to become one of the all-time greats. Now, the studio also claims that in addition to in-ring action, there will be out-of-ring action related to the pro wrestling world. So not only will your athleticism be tested, but your hero's conscience will be tested as well. Interesting. Now, as someone that has had a little peek behind the curtain in the wrestling world, I find this fascinating because for me, the business of the business is more interesting than the product that's on the TV. And by... you know, Go ahead, Bert. I was going to say, do you know who the publisher is? Uh, it's Mega Cat Graphics is the studio. I don't know if they're self-publishing or not, but they are releasing... Hmm. On all major consoles and Steam. Yeah, because I know that you were you were into the wrestling scene for a period of time. I did. I got a paycheck for a period of time. And then I, of course, have been a fan since forever until about five years ago. And then it just got so abysmal that even I pulled out faster than a high school kid on prom night. <laughs> I uh, I was a fan of like mainstream wrestling as a kid. As an adult, I was watching lucha wrestling for a while. I remember I, thought, I said, "Hey Bert, you've got to watch this thing called Lucha Underground." <laughs> and the rest was history and then it's then it died. Right. I mean, you left me babysitting your kid one night and came home and found us halfway through the season of Lucha Underground. Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with that. But yeah, WrestleQuest. I've always wanted a wrestling game, be it a board game, be it a card game. You know, Douglas and I actually, oh goodness, this was 10, 15, I, I, I want to say 15 years ago. We had a concept wrestling card battle game that we were, I guess for lack of a better term, developing. We would just sit around over the weekends and playtest and come up with cards and mechanics and things. I wonder if I can dig any of that out. I'm sure I have it somewhere. But I've always wanted a good wrestling game that wasn't just, you know, a beat-em-up. And right. this, and, this and could it be like it. You're gonna, right. I mean, they say they're going to test your, your character's uh, conscience and personality. So it'd be kind of interesting to see if they're trying to balance, like, things outside the ring because it says so are you gonna volunteer at the children's hospital or are you gonna try to star in a television show or you know things like that to kind of judge your character's i don't want to say moxie they're trying to judge your character's development and, and like your character's 
personality. It would be kind of interesting to see a game like that that kind of balances in and out of the ring events for a wrestler. I wonder if there will be an option to, you know, do two lines of blow and then do both. (laughs) Because that would be more akin to reality. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, I'll definitely keep an eye out on it just because it sounds like fun. It also sounds like it could be a steaming pile of dog crap. So the jury is out on that one. But that, my friend, wraps up our news for the week. There's still some good stuff there. And, uh, you know, always interesting to see kind of what's coming. It's a new concept, at least, for the game. So hope I'm hoping that it uh, is one of the good ones and not just, you know, a steaming pile of crap, as you said. Me too. And there's enough names in it with the three that we uh, we talked about. Plus, they, they announced a handful of other sort of Hall of Fame legend-type wrestlers that are also going to have appearances in the game. So, it definitely is going to be a wait-and-see. So, Well, we had an author lined up this week. And, unfortunately, due to some circumstances beyond our and their control, uh, they had a, a passing in the family. And... We always say that life is more important than games. So we have no guest this week as planned. So talk to me about something, Bert. I've got an empty segment that I'm staring at. All right. Well, I mean, first of all, obviously, whenever, um, you know, something like that happens, we always want to make sure that, you know, the uh, author that we were expecting this week knows that they have our sympathy and, you know, hopefully we can get them to come back for, a segment in the future. I'm sure that we can. And um, I've communicated with this guy for a few years, and he also knows my style of humor and just how I approach things. And I promised him that I would not make a worm food reference on the show tonight. So, um, uh, Didn't you just do it? Oh, Johnny, we love you. We'll talk to you when we talk to you, and we won't let anyone know that your real name is Johnny. We'll use your pen name. So, <laughs> so what do you want to talk about, Bert? Well, I had something that I was th- that I was kind of mulling over. We, we had done the Ask Bert segment last week, and we had talked about jumping into role-playing. You know, when we did it, when we learned to play, we got books and supplements and things like that, and we had to kind of figure out the rules, and somebody had to step up and take charge and be the dungeon master, the game master, the game mother, you know, uh, whatever you call it. Who are you kidding? It was all DM back there. No matter what game you were playing, it was DM. (laughs) Yeah, That's true. That's true. But, you know, in my group, I stepped up to become the DM. I wrote several campaigns and things like that. You said that you stepped up and did it for a while. So for people who are getting into it, obviously you're going to have the rules. You're going to have some of the supplements like a monstrous manual and some tools to help you. But when you sit down to write a campaign for your friends, where do you start? Where do you get your inspiration or your ideas from? Well, this is interesting because I'm kind of pigeonholed now into forever DM and it just sort of comes to me. Back when I was first starting, you had to go with something that was planned, especially for a new dungeon master. 
So you take, I think of my first big campaign that I ran, that ran for about two years. It started from a module. I could even tell you the module. It was the Temple of Elemental Evil. Okay, that was a great module. It was a great module, and I fully planned to run that module. 100%. That's, that's what I was doing. I was running Temple of Elemental Evil, and I followed the module for, I want to say, about five sessions by the book. And it was fine. You know, everything was going well. And as I was going, and as players were making different player choices, I, as DM, had to react to things on the fly, and that forced me out of the, sort of out of the box of the module. Okay. And from that point where I was forced out of the box, the module was out the window for me from that point forward. I drew from just situation. There were times, I hate to say this, where I did very little prep. There were times where I would maybe just do nothing but prep encounters so that I had a toolbox of encounters that wherever the story would take us, I would have encounters ready to go. But I wouldn't necessarily prep the story all the time. And there were other times where I would prep the story. And I would draw from pop culture or from common texts. And sometimes it was very serious. Sometimes it's not. I mean, you know, my go-to bandit token is a picture of Burt Reynolds from Smokey and the Bandit. Yes. (laughs) I guess it was just... Getting that first push off the cliff where my players did something, and I can't even tell you what it was, it was so long ago, but my players did something or ended up in a situation that fell outside of the module. And from that point on, something just flipped in my brain and I was able to go with it. Now, I also have a somewhat unfair advantage in that when I was working a nine-to-five, my nine-to-five relied on me talking all the time, right? And coming up with things on the fly. And I just sort of have that personality trait where I can talk at you for an hour and a half, which is why you're listening to Nerd Cognito, right? Right? <laughs> right. So for me, I guess it was one less hurdle. I could bullshit the bullshitters. And I think that uh, I had a similar situation with myself. When I stepped up to do it, I bought a box set to start with. Do you remember City of Brass from Planescape? I'm not going to sit here and lie and pretend that I do just for the sake of the show. I do not. Okay. Well, I was a big, like, they were talking about the multiverse at that time, and it was big to talk about the hells and the abyss. The City of Brass was supposedly, or the City of Doors, some people would call it, the City of Doors, I think it was called. Can I interrupt you? Was, sure. Was this from one of the supplements where it had all of the different hells and all of the different planes which were connected to the hells? Right, there were a series of box sets that had all of the different, like they released the Planes of Law, 
and the planes of chaos. Like it was, uh, they were multiverse box sets, but I bought one. And the one I bought was for the city of doors, which is kind of like at the center of everything, like from the city of doors, you can get anywhere else. Okay. So I know the general era of product that we're talking about. I just didn't connect the dots. Right. Okay. Right. So I started playing D&D early with a friend of mine, and I was young at the time, so I didn't step up to DM until I was in high school. And by then, these box sets started coming out. So I bought the one for City of Doors, and like you, it came with like a starting module for characters that lived in the city or were passing through, sort of like odd jobs and where you can find work and where you can stay and things like that. So kind of like getting to know the city type modules. Well, of course. The, the same thing happened to me. My player characters went off the rails, wound up getting sucked out of the city of doors into pandemonium. <laughs> and, the, and then I had to kind of start to ad lib and then start to kind of write for that. You know, we're playing ahead for that. But like you, not knowing what the characters were going to do from week to week, I would plan, like, if they go this way, this these kind of events will happen. But a lot of times it was on the fly because they would fall in love with an NPC that I wrote as a throwaway character. Sure. Or, you know, take out the big bad in, like, 30 seconds. Like, So you were, and there's definitely three types of DMs. There's the DM that sticks absolutely to the module keeps it on rails and will get the players back there that's one type and i think that's neither of us no no i mean the the thing about me is i always want to customize the events to the characters because it's a lot more fun if the world the characters are in gets changed by them so if you have them on rails where nothing they do affects the outcome uh dramatically it kind of makes things difficult you know what i mean it's like railroading them to an extent see i'm a different you're uh i'm gonna prep for path a b or c type of guy and sure sort of hope that they're gonna fall close enough to one of those paths if i'm prepping and if i need the players to get somewhere i am a huge i probably shouldn't be telling you this (laughs) <laughs> but I am a huge uh, illusion of choice dungeon master. You can pick whatever door you want to open, but it's going to take you to where I need you to go. <laughs> okay. And um, there's not a right or a wrong way to do it. As long as your group is happy, you know, me telling you this, and you've played with us now for going into our second decade. I, I, don't know. Did you know that I was an illusion of choice, DM? No. I mean, you make it seem very natural. So basically what you're saying is, for you, you're on hidden rails. We're going to get to the outcome that you want, but we don't necessarily know that you're making us go there. For major events, yes. Sure. Now, am I? are you staying on rails the entire time? Absolutely not. But I know that there's going to be A, B, C, D, and E that are going to happen in the next, you know, ideally one of those each session. And, right. and I'm going to get you there. And sometimes I don't. But most of the time I do. 
but I don't ever want you to feel as though I'm forcing that issue because the only one that knows that I'm forcing that issue is me. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing is there's a difference between, I guess it's all about how heavy handed you are when you're guiding your players. If you can, the illusion of choice can make things fun, even if you're not getting kind of what you want out of it. You're like, oh, I thought if I picked that, this would happen. Not knowing that no matter what I picked, the outcome I got was going to happen. You know, so that's the kind of thing. Like, it's all about how heavy-handed you are. And again, a lot of that is working on the fly, too. I'll give you an example, and I'll give the listeners a little bit of background. In our last fantasy campaign, the party was on, for lack of a better term, an airship. And that airship needed to go to a desert location. Bert, you remember this, right? I do. And the party was hell-bent to not go (laughs) anywhere in the correct direction. They needed to go west. And they kept going east. And then they had an encounter that sort of was a nudge for them to go back east, and the, the response was, no, we have to continue to investigate this because that's where the encounter came from. And then the airship got attacked by, I believe it was a dragon, and her, um, which you may or may not have known at the time, her, her children. And the airship went down, and the party was told by the gnomish inventor on the ship, and this this is where it all became on the fly, get into these escape pods that I have created. And they were fired out of a cannon and landed in my desert. Now, you ended up in the desert. But you and I had no fucking clue that you guys were going to be human torpedoes. Right, right. We got there under a different design than you ever originally intended us to, but we got where you needed us to be. When you're playing with a group of people, you can't force them to be a hero or force them to be a villain. You have to, um, you know, they may accomplish your goal, but but they have to feel like they're doing it their way. Does that make sense? It does. And, and this also is going to sound terrible, but when it's just not working, the DM always has the power to kill the character. <laughs> there is that. And as long as you do it in a way that doesn't break the continuity of the story and does not break the illusion of choice, there's nothing wrong with PC death, especially if it's a PC that just isn't fitting in. Right. And, and I mean, those can be huge for parties. I mean, um, you know, if it's something where the player is like, well, I want a different character because this guy doesn't fit in here, you can write in a character death that will drive the party in a direction that you want, whether it's, you know, a quest for vengeance or a quest for justice or, you know, just, oh, holy cow, Bill got eaten by a dragon. Let's get out of here. You right, know? right. And, and sometimes it is. Bill just got eaten by a dragon and that's the end of it or you could be cliche and you know the former pc comes back as the npc or the evil bad guy but uh there's a lot of i guess creative responsibility that comes when you take on the role of dm and we were talking about prepping i don't know that that can be prepped for true i mean so uh, you know some some ability to adapt on the fly is going to be necessary. If you try to 
write a campaign from beginning to end with branching storylines and expect everybody to follow the roadmap you've laid out for them, you're going to be disappointed as the person running the story. Sure. I would rather have a great storyteller that needs to refer to the rules than a rules-as-written god that's a terrible storyteller. Agreed. Agreed. I have, uh, you know, I have seen plenty of home brews or rules disallowed or things like that just because it was uh, a great story. You know what I mean? Like they're, you know, they don't allow certain things in their campaign because the story pushes for that. The story that they've developed and the story that you're enjoying being a part of, it, it just makes sense for that particular tale. Sure. Sure. Well, I guess we prep in two very, very different ways. Right. When when we're looking at at our, I guess, tables, so to speak. It's very like, interesting. Normal... I would never have pegged you as a I'm gonna plan the three probable paths type guy. Right. And and my you know, my thing is I'll do a resource where I have like because sometimes players will just you're like, okay. You're either going to go here, here, or here. Those are the stories I laid out. And they all decide they're going to, you know, turn left and run into the ocean. And then you <laughs> have to, uh, then you have to come up with something. So I'll literally create like a, like a small resource for myself with, you know, places of interest and NPCs and things like that to kind of, if something happens unexpected, I can kind of turn in that direction. But normally when I plan it out, I'll plan for, you know, like major events, like major storyline events. I'm like, okay, so they'll probably either get to this, this, or this. And let's face it, that's reasonably predictable too. Right. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. I've also um, completely taken an encounter that I've had prepped (laughs) that might be, I don't know, let's call it a carrion crawler, right? Everybody knows the carrion crawler. And PCs didn't go into that dungeon, and, oh, they decided to go up this mountain. Oh, well, there's there's a lightning beast that has the exact same stat block as a carrying crawler, and instead of poison, it's lightning, and I'm going to describe it as a bird. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that before, too, and there ain't a damn thing wrong with it. So no, no, I mean, stat blocks are great. If you plan something that is appropriate for your party to take on and they, they don't get there, you could tweak it a little and put it right back in as something else. I've reskinned it. <laughs> oh, fun times, fun times. That's going to take us to the end of our chitter chatter for this week. We thank you for joining us on Nerd Cognito and remind you to please, please, please like and subscribe on the podcast provider of your choice. It doesn't matter. We're everywhere. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora. God knows I'm missing a bunch of them, but we're there. Just search for Nerd Cognito and make sure you subscribe to the show. Also, do us a favor and make sure that you tag us in social media so that your friends can find the show. 
It's important that we keep growing so that we can keep bringing you quality content that you're used to every week. Yeah, quality content, Bert. That's that's what I'm <laughs> calling this, quality content. But while you have your homework for the week, we'll do our homework for next week. My name is Ryan David. I was joined by Bert, and we thank you, as always, for listening. Have a great week, folks. No!